seems like breaking news. Breaking news. Mike and Kevin are here. Breaking news. Live reporting. Hey, news. This is uh, Mike Catherwood, and I'm Kevin Ryder, and we bring you only positive stories that help you perhaps feel better about the human society than watching the news all day long. Yes, because most news outlets don't do a very good job of making you feel good about humanity, and Kevin and I are here to save the day. And there are a lot more great stories than bad stories, but the news finds a bad story and then just focuses on it 24-7, so we give you good stories that make you think, oh, people aren't all assholes. Great news. No, in fact, most people are not. Most people are not. Right. And we get, there's a couple bad apples, Kevin. You know, out of 7 billion, there's only a couple bad apples, but it taints the whole batch. You know what I'm saying, brother? <laughs> I do, but I don't like the word taint. Okay. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Intro. The motherfucking intro. Say hello to the happy goodbye to the blues. Kevin and Mike are hitting you with great news. What's that at the end? I didn't understand that. Just noise? What's that? Was that just noise at the end there? Were there lyrics? What happened? No, Kevin, it was fucking feeling. That's what I okay. thought. Okay, my bad. That's what that is. My first great news story is a crazy story of redemption. It's a woman named Ginny Burton, and she's from Seattle, Washington. And yes. Oh, it's an all right. Oh, okay. And she, um, you know how some people say, I never had a chance. This girl never had a chance. Listen to the entire buildup of the story of thing that went wrong after thing that went wrong after thing that went wrong. And then it turns around at the end. Watch this. Her mother introduced her to marijuana at age six, got her using meth at age 12. By 14, she was smoking crack. At 16, she was raped by a man who bought drugs from her mother. By 17, she'd attempted suicide. At 23, she was a full-blown heroin addict. She and a guy named Jack used to find drug dealers who were in the country illegally and rob them at gunpoint. And on and on it went, raging chaos, hell-bent on destruction. A year ago, she described it all this way. When you're stuck on the street and you smell like feces and you haven't showered in forever and you can't make it into a social service agency during working hours because you're too busy trying to feed your addiction and your addiction is bigger than you, you're hopeless. You can't stand your life. You would rather be dead than alive. I spent most of my addiction wishing that somebody would just blow me away. You know, and I would never wish my story on anybody else, but I'm grateful for the way that mine unfolded because I think that it's supposed to be the way that it is so that I can reach as many people as possible to let them know that there is a way out. 17 felony convictions, three trips to the state prison, and each time she got clean and thought about her life. This picture is from the last time she was in prison, 33 months at the Mission Creek Correction Center for Women in 2009. The last time she was arrested was 2012, and she was tired and numb and finished with it all. Like, I knew when he put the handcuffs on me and put me in his car, I knew that I was going to be okay. I knew that my life was going to change. And it was then, in that moment, that I made the decision to turn it around, no matter what it took. 
She fought to get into drug court in King County, got into a treatment program. She started volunteering and eventually got a job. For five years, she worked for Catholic Community Services, serving the homeless and the addicted. She started hiking in 2014, and she felt like it centered her. By 2017, she was climbing seriously. In one four-week stretch, she summited the three highest peaks in Washington. And she started going to school, community college at first, and then she got a scholarship to the University of Washington. You know, I was entering into a bunch of areas I'd never experienced before. Um, I had a lot of insecurity at first. I was significantly older than the majority of people I was sitting in classrooms with. And uh, I was reading up to 350 pages a week and in a field I had no understanding of, which is political science. So it's definitely been hard. She thrived. Life opened up. She made the all-academic team at the UW. She earned awards and more scholarships. And now, now at the age of 48, she has graduated with honors and with something else, self-respect. Oh my gosh, I'm unbelievably proud of myself. So much so that, um, that it makes me want to cry. Yeah. And when I look at some of the photos and um, when I looked at my own graduation photos, um, I just, I was so proud of myself. How about that? Proud of How about you, coming through? All of that, isn't that crazy? Mike, you had drug issues during that time. Did you ever have that hopelessness? Absolutely. When you were younger? I mean, that's the, that's like the, the, the most, I think, I think it's the most difficult aspect to deal with when you're talking about addiction and recovery is that you can make sense of the stealing and the lying and the cheating because you, you're like, I was not in my right mind. I would never think to do that. I would never drive with a child in the car under the influence of, but I know now that I, I have, I'm in my right mind. What you can't get over without, you know, serious effort is knowing, not, not thinking, knowing that you had for a long period of your life, really, really wished you were much prefer to be dead, you know, waking up in the morning and just hoping, wishing that you would not, you know, that you get a hot dose or you get in a car accident or something. Um, because you you just life is so unbelievably painful that you're you would prefer to be dead and that you you know I just celebrated 19 years and that's still like it's kind of hard to deal with to look at myself and 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 you know have the honesty to say like I'm still that guy I feel much better about life I've changed the way I look at everything but that was me like I really wanted to die that's a it's a, it's a incredibly crippling kind of force to kind of deal with I imagine starting at six years old when her mom got her into marijuana. That's good parenting right there. And I mean, how, you know, how fucked up was her mom's, I mean, like what type of addiction and, and abuse did she probably have to deal with to think that that was a good idea, you know? But Jenny Burton came through it, flying colors. Look at her now. That's, it's, it's really impressive. That's a beautiful story, man. Great, great start. I have another, uh, what I think to be a beautiful, uplifting story. Par for the course here on Great News, Kevin. Um, there is yep. a teacher in Wisconsin, and her name is Carol Mack. She's first and second grade teacher for close to 45 years in this small town uh, in Big Bend, Wisconsin. Um, unfortunately, she was diagnosed with cancer. And recently, in, uh, in 2021, 
it had advanced to the point that she could no longer continue teaching. And she was trying her best to continue. Uh, even as an, as an older woman, she was still showing up and teaching her kids because it was just so meaningful. To her. But it had. By the way, let me just had... interrupt you right there. Let me interrupt you right there. This is a person who is incredibly sick. And this is true of most teachers. And couldn't be stopped or tried her best to not be stopped from going in and teaching, yep. even though she was incredibly sick. Yeah, I, I think that that's unfortunately the um, the malaise that a lot of people feel, especially in this country, is that regardless of how much money you make, sometimes if you do certain jobs, you don't feel like you're doing something that's really impacting. Whereas, you know, someone like a, a teacher, especially for first and second graders, you have to be just overwhelmed with this sense that, you know, if I do my job well, I could really be changing lives. And uh, right. it, it, it does speak to uh, the immense um, kindness and, and uh, the humane nature of, of, of teachers. But this woman, she couldn't be stopped, you know, but until the cancer, unfortunately, reached the point where she absolutely could not and she had to seek hospice care. Well, because she was so well liked by not only the children that she had taught, but the generations of children that she had taught in that small town, some of them now parents of kids that she was currently teaching, they decided that they wanted to let her know. And uh, there's some video here of how they they uh, gave her that message. So a couple dozen people, <laughs> mostly children, they got together and they decided to sing Jesus Loves Me out in front of her. You know, it, it is it is a Lutheran school. So, I mean, like, if you're not a Christian, I understand. Like, But the sentiment. Right. Yeah, of course. Beautiful. Of course. Although there was a long, long shot of the shoes. <laughs> I didn't quite understand that. Uh, yeah, that Here's was a Quentin Tarantino film. I don't know. Oh, it was. His foot okay. They, yeah, he actually directed that and then uh, was behind yeah, it. I did not realize that. <laughs> um, my next story is a 39-year-old uh, named James Melville, and he is a guy who ran the New York City Marathon. And you may have seen this on your social medias before, but the guy ran 26.2 miles, okay. which I've never tried and will never try, and ran the entire way. And then 200 meters from the end of the race, from the finish oh. line, he, he collapsed. So he went 200 20- meters short. 26.1 miles. Yes. And he's yes. like, here's here's where I call it quits. He didn't call it quits. His body just gave up, just said, yeah. nope, F you. I'm going to the ground. I can't do this anymore. And the New York City Marathon is one of those serious marathons where, you know, you get runners who practice and work out and have a regimen and maybe a coach. Oh. And every every step, every second is important. And watch what happened when he fell. 
39-year-old Jamel Melville struggling to stay on his feet after more than three hours hitting the pavement across New York City's five boroughs. I knew I was close to the finish line. I knew that I didn't have that much longer to go. It was painful. <laughs> it was painful. Jamel remembers the intense closing moments for him yesterday at the 50th running of the New York City Marathon. Well, 200 meters from the finish line, ran into some difficulties. I had been slowing my pace a little bit. Um, and, you know, I, I hit the proverbial wall. I, I didn't have it anymore. And it was at Jamel's most vulnerable moment in the race when video captured a magnificent gesture of humanity. I know one of the runners passed me on my left, and as he passed me, he sort of looked back and he made up his mind to come help me. Watch as two other runners lift Jamel from the ground, encouraging him to finish the race. Ty Givens, Jamel's girlfriend, saw the whole thing from the east side grandstands in Central Park. That's a very selfless thing, especially when, when you have your, your goals and your times, and these guys are competitive and, and they're fast, so for, him to, for them to go back and help him. I'm eternally grateful for both of those gentlemen to help me. Um, I want to talk to him. The Queens native who played multiple sports in his high school and college years feels immensely proud he was able to cross the finish line, but he's also admittedly very sore. I'm going to hold on to this for, for a long time and cherish the experience that I had going through what I went through. Jamel, a Yale University psychology grad who picked up his passion for running marathons in the past couple of years, says he has now turned it into a lifestyle. You haven't seen the last of me. I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, we'll see you back. I, yeah, I can't wait for the next one. I can't wait for the next one. I would be, I'm out. Listen. Peace. You listen. Everyone likes to point fingers at like combat sport athletes. You know, you're like, how could you just have people choke you out all day? You go to jujitsu on purpose. How can you go to a boxing gym and have people punch you? And it's like, yeah, how you meatheads, you're crazy. You lift heavy weights and your body here. Fuck you, runners. Okay. <laughs> you should be at the top. No one goes, you oh, you jog in the morning you do marathons that what's wrong you're fucking crazy when everybody should okay because the body <laughs> not fucking made for now no it is and by the way is. that guy is a beast that guy looked like he was really physically fit and oh yeah even with help his legs weren't working even with help well and also that it's so, that's what's so strange about endurance events like that is like not only are you did he run 26.2 miles think of the fucking training that went into yep. getting him to the point where he would do it like it. So you, who knows, like something in his body, some hormonal system or some, there's just one little glitch and it said, nah, no longer, but it's really impressive. <laughs> Not man, today, how Satan. The other people came together. <laughs> yes. Right. Because this is a serious marathon. And the, the, he said, the guy turned, saw and made up his, he could see that he made up his mind. I'm going to help this guy, this guy. Yeah. It's, um, that's amazing. It's beautiful. And it, like I said, we, we talk about it all the time, Kevin, and I'm sorry to sound like we're beating a dead horse, but that's, that's most people. Most people probably have realized like, man, this guy must've trained his butt off and he's worked so hard. We're a hundred meters away. Uh, they don't think I got to I'm concerned with my time. They think, Oh, we must do something to help us. Listen, guy. here's what I would have thought. And I think I'm being honest in this. I need to finish the last 200 meters. And then turn around and go help that guy. I think. <laughs> I think that's what I would have yeah. thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. If I was if I was really concerned with my time, you know, if I was like right. a sponsored athlete, you you might be right. But if I'm just a dude, I think I'd be like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. The yeah. shoe just collapsed, you know? Uh, but also, yeah, you and I don't have any use no. as like medical 
profession. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you, we couldn't help anyway. So I'd probably be like, is there a nurse around? Is there a doctor? Someone, please. <laughs> I'd be trying to give him mouth to mouth. And he'd be like, my legs don't work. What are you doing? <laughs> I'd be giving him lap to mouth just for, for my own <laughs> enjoyment. Um so let's change gears, Kevin, and and go move away from running, which you and I don't like, okay. and move towards Correct. snacking. I love me snacking. Uh, and Liana Aruda should be an Olympic her, sport. <laughs> excuse me, I just had a stroke. She's there with her children at the Plate Bay Street Grill in Taunton, Massachusetts, which is where they commonly like to eat. They just had a trick or treat event at uh, the Taunton High School, and so her and her kids are going to this barn grill that they like to frequent so they order their food they're they're grubbing the bill comes uh 80 bucks okay She's, all right gets out her credit card waitress comes back she said oh i'm sorry ma'am um the woman who was sitting next to you uh took care of your bill and all she asked was that i hand you this this card and uh, i think we have a picture of it um it says if you receive this card then you must be you a be money of a random act of kindness. Please consider making a post to share your experience in order for the Thomas family to see it. The post will have to be public and please use hashtag live like Trev 23. Be somebody who makes everybody feel like somebody. So this card got created uh, by a mother of a young athlete in Maryland, 500 miles away from where they were eating. Uh, in 2019, her son was a, like I said, a, a pretty talented athlete, baseball player in Maryland, and he died of a motorcycle accident at age 21. And so the mom decided to, in his honor, create these cards. And um, the the woman on the receiving end this time says she's in no hurry to get rid of it. She's going to wait for the right moment to make sure that this beautiful, kind uh, message gets passed on. But man, that's, I started to think like 500 miles away. Who knows yeah, how crazy. many people have been affected by this and... Um, you know, I understand it's just one person at this point, it's one $80 bill, but you, you start to get to telling yourself like, uh, it's a pretty nice little kind story that probably has a nice cycle behind it. Yes. And helping somebody in a small way. And if they then help somebody in a small way, it branches out. It can make a huge difference if you just start being kind to one person at a time. Yeah. No, I mean, why don't I, don't why don't me. I ever get to sit next to that person though? Seriously. So, and hey, uh, your food's been taken care of. What? And well, and also, I okay. I've had that happen once. You have twice. I have. Um, where fans of Kevin and Bean, Kevin and Bean show fans, and and Loveline fans, they will recognize, and they'll be like, "Oh, that person took care of your drinks." I don't fucking drink. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, really? The guy at the comedy club took he recognized me. Took care of my club sodas. Thank you, fuck. How come it never happens when I'm like at the palm ordering lobster? You know? <laughs> I'm sorry to be such a curmudgeon, but you hear it's me, right? The best offer ever. The best offer ever is to offer to buy all your drinks. <laughs> no yeah. problem. Yeah, and all my, my friends all always do that. My fucking asshole friends. They do the, uh, they do the like, <laughs> I'll get you back next. I'll get next round. Well, we're at a bar, we're at the Laker game. A beer's sixteen fucking dollars, and I'm like, "Oh, really? You're gonna yep. get me next time for my three dollar water bottle? You <laughs> cock!" <laughs> you sound angry, Mike. You all right? No, you good? No. You're not good. Okay. 
You know how uh, when it rains, especially in Southern California here where we're doing the show, when it rains, uh, traffic is a nightmare. And yeah. streets somehow, I'm not exactly sure how it's been built, but it feels like all of the water runs to the streets and just stays there. And you go through these giant puddles that you can never get out of. And there was a woman who was stuck in the rain, in the water, her car stalled, and she was outside of the Pentagon. And watch who came to her aid. The Marines are going to help yeah. It was during the deluge Thursday when Virginia said a prayer for help, and the Marines showed up 45 seconds later. We figured it would be a good idea to just lend a helping hand and uh, help out our fellow Americans. If there's anybody that's able to help them, it's going to be us, because um, you got six, six-foot-tall, 230, 240-pound guys. Corporal Mitchell Widowitz and Corporal Jerry Tosner are both Marine Corps body bearers, an elite unit performing funeral services at Arlington National Cemetery. Neutral. Yes. It's neutral. Thank you so much. Virginia Waller Torres recorded the whole thing. It went viral on TikTok, and after a little marine power set her free, <laughs> a reunion with high fives and two hugs. How are you? It's just about doing the right thing when, when no one's looking. What the Marines didn't know is that Virginia's grandfather is a World War II vet. Buried in Arlington. Her father is a Navy vet from the Gulf War. She was born in the Panama Canal Zone, and her father was overcome by her rescue. And he called me back, and he started crying because it was so emotional for him. It was for Virginia, too. I can't explain it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so grateful. Yeah, absolutely. This should also be what's expected of just humanity in general. Um, this shouldn't be an outlier case. And if people just reciprocate that and uh, do good on others, um, I think I think our, our country's heading in a good direction. Mike Valerio, WUSA 9. How about that? If you could only break down near Marines every time, you'd be set. Yeah, you better believe it, cowboy. Um, <laughs> I like what I like what that one Marine said. He said, you know, this is just should be not what's expected of Marines. This is what should be expected out of humanity. It's a beautiful, I, a couple things there. First off, how jacked were those guys? Secondly, was she single? Because if she was, it wasn't just raining outside. It was raining in them panties. When <laughs> it was raining, a dozen Marines come over there like, well, man, I'm going to just go ahead and push. She must have been like, are you kidding me? I need some new panties. <laughs> Third, were any of those Marines single? Because she looked attractive and i'm thinking there is a very good way to pay me back uh ma'am i don't like where you're going with this although having said that this would be a pretty good reality show just find a group of men and then have a hot woman pull up and just stall and need help no it wouldn't be it wouldn't be you know okay. why because what? all guys would all help okay then they do, you know it because people are fucking dicks. They would do the episode where it's like they throw in a couple ringers of not necessarily so attractive women and guys are just <laughs> burning right by. And I don't want that to be exposed because you know it's fucking true, right. dude. All right, I understand that. that if a girl's sense. hot enough, guys are going to be driving over broken glass, popping their own tires, help, and then right, but, average person, and guys are all, oh, I'm sorry, have a good, I hope you get that taken care of. <laughs> I thought you said most people were good. That was at the beginning of the show. You said, yeah, most people are really good. I, listen, 
I think most people are good. Women. Most women are good. Let me tell you why women are better than men, okay? And I, I'm not okay. some pandering, some fucking pandering wannabe feminist. I'm not doing this. But I do think there is one area, like, as far as, like, male ego, women are so more advanced in this department, you know, intellectually and emotionally. Let me give you a perfect example. So... Right before the pandemic, probably like late 2019, I'm at the gas station, right, in in Venice, California. This like 21-year-old girl, maybe younger, like a really young girl, walks up to me and goes, hey. I go, hi. She goes, I locked my keys in my car, but I live really close, like a mile away, and I have extra keys at my house. Will you give me a ride to my house so I can get them and give me a ride back if you're not too busy? And I go, uh, yeah, I mean, I totally will. But in my mind, I'm thinking like, I'm, I'm a perfect stranger. This perfect, you know, this girl. Yeah, that might be a dangerous move. Right. I mean, luckily, I'm not going to harm her, but, but in, you know, it's kind of crazy. So I was like, yeah, you no problem. No sweat. So I give her a ride. She picks up her keys. She drive her back. She, She's like, thank you so much. That was really nice of you. I was like, yeah, no sweat. I, I mean, I'm in no rush. So I drive home, and I tell my wife this story, and I'm like, can you believe that? And she just, she's like, well, yeah, look at you. And I go, what's that supposed to mean? She's like, you're not threatening or dangerous. And, <laughs> and a, 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 a woman would go, wow, what an amazing compliment, right? You know, like I'm a, I'm yeah, a personable looking, I'm an inviting person. Me, my male ego is like, that's fucking dangerous. I'm threatening. <laughs> I'm a bad, I'm a fucking bad boy. You weren't, you were upset that you weren't a I bad was boy. I insulted that my wife said, I appear to be very kind and, and not threatening and not dangerous. That was, that was a bruise to me because I'm a stupid idiot <laughs> man. That is my opinion of why women are better. Listen, you're not going to get any argument out of a guy with three daughters. So that's... uh, Um, Kevin, this is an amazing story to clear things up for this episode. This is one of those where you're like, well, this this is a Hollywood script. There's no fucking way. This guy spends six weeks. He's 49 years old. He's Kevin Crane, okay? 49 years old, six weeks. He's a plumber installing plumbing crap inside Paul Conley's uh, house. Well, the whole time, Kevin is singing because he likes to sing mm-hmm. as he does his plumbing. Okay? Six weeks sitting there singing, singing his ass off. Uh, little does Kevin Crane know that the guy he's doing the plumbing for is a high-powered record executive who has uh, launched the careers of, or at least been a, a, a big, strong part of the careers of David Bowie and Meatloaf and people like that. I mean, he's like a real deal. And uh, so here's a little video of the guy singing. Check it out. I'm walking down the street And I'm gazing at my feet And it's raining hard It's raining hard I'm holding back the shame Everybody thinks you're too blame and life gets harder. Six weeks, he's just singing his fucking tunes, doing his thing. Right. 
Record deal. He's in the studio right now cutting his first record. He got a record deal from the homeowner? Yeah. Guy's sitting there listening to the plumber sing after six weeks. He's like, hey, listen, you, you ever thought about uh, cutting, you know, what's your story? Does this make me a bad person that I would think, um, hey, listen, uh, plumber Pavarotti, let's get to the plumbing. Let's get to that. Plumberati is pretty strong. I, I, I got to give you credit for that one. That, like Plumberati is sick. Um, I, listen, I, I'm with you because like you're you're paying him to fucking plumb, right? But if he's Not still working at the same pace and happens to be you know delighting look, my eardrums listen, with his sweet tooth, listen, I don't want to put any despair on him, but it looked like he was working pretty slowly. That's all. That's all I'm saying. He didn't the look in the best shape. Two weeks. I don't know if like I don't know if it was the singing that was slowing him down as much as just being like decrepit. That could be, yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, if you like this podcast, this great news podcast with Kevin and Mike, uh, feel free to subscribe. Let your friends know. Uh, click the little button so that you can get an update when we post shows, and we post shows every Monday and Thursday. Mike, outro. <clears throat> outro. You know what I'm talking about, bro. Say goodbye to the sad, hello to the new, cause Kevin and Mike just rocked you with great news! Give me my motherfucking record deal, I can plumb too, bitch!